Scripture this morning, Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, welcome to the Panador. If you're new, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, the way that we build out our preaching calendar here at the Panador is to plan out the sermons uh, about six to eight months in advance of when we actually preach those sermons in our gathering. And the advantage of this is that it gives uh, the preachers, myself and the other pastors here, an opportunity to steep in the text that we are planning to preach from uh, over the course of a long period of time to let it sort of percolate into our hearts and get into the themes therein and actually begin to live in those themes uh, over the course of that six to eight month period. Now sometimes this plan is more important than others because sometimes the text that we are diving into is particularly challenging, uh, and that is the case today, because today we are getting into texts of Scripture, passages of Scripture that deal with the theme of vengeance, and vengeance is not something that we typically are comfortable talking about or thinking about or meditating on in the church liturgy. The text that we're looking at today, these texts about vengeance are actually all taken from the Psalms, and as many of you know, the Psalms are the prayer book, the song book for the church. They are to be used in the gathered worship of the church, and yet these Psalms that we are going to look at today, I would hazard a guess, you may never have heard read in scripture or in service, never mind sung in service, somehow 
Lord, let my enemies dissolve into slime, has never made its way into a worship chorus. It's very difficult, actually, to integrate this theme of vengeance into the worshipful story arc of a Christian church gathering. We just read Psalm 94 in its entirety. That alone would be enough to make many of us blush. Uh, but in just a moment, we'll be reading portions from Psalm 58, Psalm 109, Psalm 137. All of these texts, I imagine you will find challenging. It may well be the case that as we read them, you'll find it hard to sit through them. Why is this in the scripture? Why are these words included in the Psalms? How are we to engage with them? How are we to pray them? How are we to make sense of why it is that God has included them? If God included these words of vengeance in his holy book and then placed that holy book in our hands to use in the course of our liturgical life, our worshiping life, is God then, in some sense, sanctioning vengeance or at least sanctioning vengeful thoughts? What are we to make of the presence of these texts? It's confusing, all the more so when we remember that the Psalms have been the prayer book for the people of God dating back millennia, that in fact our Lord Jesus used the Psalms as his primary prayer book. No doubt Jesus prayed these very passages, these very vengeance-dripping passages. What are we to make of that? So suffice to say, these past seven to eight months uh, that I have had to consider this question, let these questions wash over me, has been very much needed. If you are in a community group in our church and happen to be in one of the groups that went through the fall study guide on praying the Psalms, you may have delved into this topic a bit. Uh, The community group that I lead in Wicker Park delved in quite a bit, considered these questions of vengeance and the vengeance psalms quite a bit, the so-called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory simply means to call down curses on. We considered these questions about these psalms a bit. The first light bulb moment for me uh, in regarding these passages actually came about five months ago in the late summer when I was having a phone conversation with a pastor friend of mine who lives in another city. And he was relaying to me a hardship that he and his family have gone through over the past several years. It's something I've been familiar with in the past, and we were talking about it again. This is a fellow church planter, father of four children, much like myself, lives a very kind of busy, complicated life that I can relate to and I'm very familiar with. And several years ago, it came to pass that his mother-in-law moved in with their family. Some of you already know where this is going. (laughs) Uh, And his mother-in-law happens to be a fairly demanding person, 
and a person with strong parental theology, uh, strong opinions about how children ought to be parented. And it just so happens that my friend and his wife disagree with just about all of those opinions. And so she had to move into their home because she fell on financial hard times, and they began to endure this very demanding, overly opinionated voice in their daily lives, really over the course of an entire year. She lived in their home for an entire year. And during that year, I remember my friend and I talked quite a few times about this hardship back then. And when we did, we would talk about his mother-in-law, yes, but far more than her, we would talk about her ex-husband, his father-in-law. Because the reason why his mother-in-law had to move into their home was financial hardship caused by a divorce late in life when she had no economic viability. And so my friend felt as though his father-in-law, his wife's father, had abandoned his responsibility to provide for his longtime wife, had left her in the lurch. And because he had abandoned that responsibility, that responsibility was now falling on my friend, his wife, their young family, putting undue strain on their young family. It was a responsibility that he didn't believe was justly his. His father-in-law was still living. Why couldn't he care for his mother-in-law? Well, as we talked, we talked a number of times, the conversations would always go somewhat similar in that I would remind him about the grace of God and the great acts of forgiveness that he had experienced in his life. And he's a humble man. He's a pastor, uh, a mentor in many ways to me. And he would receive that and would always come to some place of soft-heartedness where he could recognize having been forgiven so much, how could he now not extend that same forgiveness to his mother-in-law and his father-in-law. And so this is how the conversation would go. And then after that year came to an end and his mother-in-law moved out of their house, uh, I remember feeling very proud of my friend, my pastor friend. Uh, His anger and bitterness seemed to subside. And it seemed to me that he had faithfully endured this very difficult time that he had walked the hard road of forgiveness, and we were moving on from there. Well, it wasn't too long later, actually, just this past summer, that mom moved back in. It turned out that she couldn't make it on her own. They'd set her up in an apartment on her own, and it wasn't working out. It was financial shortage again. She moved back in, and father-in-law at this point knew full well the hardship that this was to his daughter's family. Uh, Nevertheless, he refused to even contribute any kind of financial help to assist my friend, his wife, their four children to have some semblance of normalcy. He knew how difficult his ex-wife 
is. Frankly, that's why he walked out after decades of marriage. And so when I got on the phone with my friend this past summer, late last summer in August, and this topic came up, I was expecting there to be similar kinds of bitterness and resentment to work through. I was expecting that same cycle of the conversation to play out that had played out many times before, wherein we would walk into remembering the grace of God together and have a true and felt moment of forgiveness together. But instead, in the course of this conversation last summer, I got really maybe the first glimpse in my pastoral life into the purpose of the Psalms of Vengeance. And my friend recounted to me that when his mother-in-law first moved back into their home, he was livid. He was daily seething with rage. Every one of her demands and parental instructions to him and especially his wife felt like a knife being stabbed into them uh, directly from his father-in-law. He was incredibly angry at his father-in-law, so much so that on one particularly angry morning, he opened the scripture to Psalm 94 and began to pray in earnest the opening verses that he found there. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. My friend told me that he spent quite a bit of time actually that morning praying those words and praying words from the other psalms of vengeance that are included in the Psalter of the Old Testament. And he said that as he did, he felt a weight lifting from his shoulders. He told me it was like he was handing over this whole injustice to God, saying, God, you meet out the punishment that this situation calls for. He was putting it in God's hands. You balance the scales. You handle it. And my friend told me that he actually returned to these psalms for several mornings thereafter, a couple of weeks, really. And as he did, he began to feel his fists sort of unclench, the tightness in his chest loosen, his jaw unset. He began to be relieved of the burden of vengeance that he was carrying, so much so that at one point, he found that he was not only praying those opening lines of Psalm 94, but that his prayers were moving much more into the words that come later in the psalm, verses 16 and 17, for example. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. There are so many mechanisms in our world that we turn to 
to produce a sort of pseudo-forgiveness. So many tricks that we turn to rather than have to face true forgiveness. When someone harms us, when someone wrongs us, when we experience real injustice of some kind, there are all kinds of coping mechanisms that we can use to abide that, to make our way through it. For example, we might try to simply fix the problem, fix the hurt, make no more hurt happen, i.e. get mom to move out, set up mom in her own apartment, turn down the heat of the offense that's happening from father-in-law. Or perhaps we simply retreat from relationship. We no longer really engage the person or the people who are committing the offense against us. And there's holier tricks, too, wherein some of us would find a way to sort of carefully make excuses for why someone might be hurting us in a particular way, delve into the depths of that person's story to find reasonable explanations for why they might be abandoning us or lashing out at us or whatever it may be, sort of be the bigger person and let someone off the hook. Or, as I mentioned, some of us use a sort of religious shaming of ourselves. I have been forgiven so much, how can I not now extend forgiveness to another? All of those coping mechanisms, all of those strategies and approaches to dealing with hurt have merit to them. Those are all typically worthwhile things to do in some regard. But none of those have to do with the road to forgiveness. None of those things will lead to true freedom. In fact, all of those things deny, to some degree, what is the road to true freedom? What is the road to true forgiveness? Because we can only forgive an offense when we fully acknowledge the pain of that offense, when we let the pain of that offense into the deepest, most vulnerable places of our person, and fully acknowledging pain in that way necessarily provokes us to longings for blood. Longings for vengeance. The most basic response of a fully alive person to injustice and offense is a longing for vengeance. When we pretend 
that we are not vengeful creatures. When we pretend that we don't have that longing for vengeance, we actually take ourselves into a sort of half-hearted living. We're actually pretending that we're not persons. We're pretending that we're not made in the image of God. Because real personhood responds to injustice with desire for vengeance. How do we know that? Because this is how God responds to injustice. Really, the entirety of the scriptures, it's replete, it's full of accounts of God's anger, God's longing for vengeance being kindled by some offense against him, some blasphemy against him, some harm done to his creation or to his creatures. These things provoke the most gracious being in all the universe to anger and a longing for vengeance. When we pretend that we are not provoked to vengeance by some offense, we pretend that we are more gracious than God. We pretend that we are more fully developed, enlightened persons than God. And in so doing, we shun the long and hard road to true forgiveness. The road to forgiveness always must wind through the swamp of vengeful longing, vengeful desire. Vengeance is not the opposite of forgiveness. It's step one. The longing for vengeance is where the road to forgiveness begins, such that until we acknowledge our own longing for vengeance. We cannot begin the journey to forgiveness. We can't make our way into mercy. God knows all this, of course. And so he says to us, his creatures, people made in his image, people provoked to vengeance in the same way that he is, He says to us, pray these psalms. Give voice to those longings that are in you. Reckon with these longings that lurk in you. Stop pretending that they don't. Look them in the face. Pray things like Psalm 58, verses 6 through 8. O God, Break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions. O Lord, let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let him be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Let the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Or Psalm 109, verses 6 through 15. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. 
May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let there be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Or finally, Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. These longings are in us. These longings are in you. That's why we blush when we hear them. To consider that our hearts go to these places. That our hearts want evil for others. Want pain for others. It does no good for us to deny that. In fact, when we deny that these longings are in us, they simply manifest in other sneaky and dark ways. You might find, for example, that you suddenly feel very alone and can't really explain why. I'm very familiar with that feeling. When I'm pretending that I'm the bigger person, pretending that I can endure pain, pretending that I can stand in the face of injustice, that I can simply walk through it without looking it in the face, suddenly this haunting, overwhelming sense of loneliness is present. I feel completely alone. Or, perhaps more often, you will erupt in fits of anger at the most bizarre moments. These vengeful longings manifest in ways that you can't really explain and wind up being more confusing. For some of you, you simply turn into a tightly wound stoic having shut off so many parts of your humanity rather than face the longing for vengeance in you. And God would say to us, don't go there. What's more, he would say to us, there is no shame in longing for vengeance. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be hidden. God here is saying, bring it to me. Give voice to it with me. Hand it over to me. I think often we're afraid to do that. We're afraid that if we speak, if we acknowledge with our voice these longings for vengeance within us, that they somehow become more real that they might actually begin to overtake us. 
might begin to govern our actions into actual acts of vengeance. That might well be true if we give voice to them only in the recesses of our own private counsel. But here God is saying, come talk about it with me. Come pray about it with me. Come be honest, be honest before me. I'll carry this with you. Let me hold it for you. See, the longing for vengeance is absolutely how fully alive persons first respond to injustice, first respond to offense. There's no way around that. But our frames, our human frames, are actually too feeble to support full personhood. We were never meant to be fully alive people independently from God. Our full-hearted life was always meant to be in dependence on God. He always intended to carry the freight of full-hearted personhood and life for us. Or who do you think is the source of true love and true passion and true friendship and true courage? These things are too weighty for us. We cannot conjure them on our own, and we are crushed under that weight. God says, come to me. I will carry the glory of forgiveness. I will carry the weight of forgiveness and all that is included therein. You try to manufacture forgiveness apart from the strength of God, and you will produce only these pseudo-tricks. Not freedom. Not full life. Not what God really has for us. Can you see here how God has carried the weight of vengeance throughout the entire story of humanity? Look at the scriptures again. Look at the scriptures freshly through these eyes, the whole story arc of the Bible. It's the story of God being provoked over and over again by injustice, by offense. It's the story of God's anger and vengeance being kindled and him carrying it within his person all the way into the glory of mercy and forgiveness. God walks the hard road of forgiveness, and the scriptures are his testimony to that journey. He is a truly, fully alive being. And he swallows up all the righteous indignation of the world, all the longing for vengeance in the world. He takes into himself. He bears it in himself. All the need for blood he receives. What we cannot carry ourselves. 
He says this to us famously in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans through his servant, the Apostle Paul. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God invites us to give voice to our longings for vengeance so that we might give it to him. So that we might hand it over to him rather than be crushed by it in our feeble human frame. He will take it into his frame and bury it in himself. This is the Christ. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who has taken the human longing for vengeance into his person and been undone by it, been destroyed by it. That is the hard road from vengeance to forgiveness. It's to be undone. It's to be crushed. And this is a weight too heavy for you and me to carry. It's a weight and a glory that we only step into as we step into the life of Christ. Jesus is the Savior of the world. We go to him, and we find rest for our souls there. The great Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann tells us, there is a way beyond the Psalms of vengeance, but it is a way through them, not around them. We are vengeful creatures. Thus, these harsh psalms must be fully embraced as our own. Our rage and indignation must be fully owned and fully expressed. And then, only then, can our rage and indignation be yielded to the mercy of God. In taking this route through the psalms of vengeance, we take the route God himself has gone. We are not permitted a cheaper, easier, more enlightened way. Jesus and his cross is the only way. Let's pray. Father, Father, would you help us? Would you help us by your spirit to look into the recesses of our own frames and see the things that are lurking there, the things that we regularly turn our faces from and hide from. Help us to see in that our need for you and to come to you. Father, I pray for deliverance among our congregation that hurts and offenses that are at work among us, between fellow members here, between us and family members, friends, outsiders, Pray that you would work miracles of compassion, bring about forgiveness and mercy in places that we cannot. We look to you, our help and our Savior. Amen.